0: The motor coach rolled slowly down Leahy Drive on the campus of Notre Dame, crawling behind the east end of the stadium and through the early morning shadows of Touchdown Jesus, right into the belly of the beast. The luxury bus carrying the USC football team inched to a stop, air brakes swishing the Cardinal and Gold arrival right behind the stadium rockney built. Notre Dame fans immediately descended on the bus, shaking it and pounding it on the sides, trying to intimidate college football's best team over the last three seasons. This wasn't going to be another Saturday stroll for mighty USC. Notre Dame pulled out all the stops in the first season of Charlie Weiss, desperately trying to end a three-game losing streak where the Irish had been outscored by an average of 31 points a game. The green uniforms, the pre-game pep talk from Joe Montana and Rudy Rudinger, the burn-the-ships attitude and play calling from Weiss, It all worked until the final drive of the game, until the most memorable moment of Reggie Bush's electrifying career at USC played out without the ball in his hands. From Saturday Down South, in partnership with Texas Pete Hot Sauce, this is Saturday Lives Forever, a podcast where college football's historic past comes to life. Seven seconds on the clock. USC trailing by three and at the Notre Dame one with no timeouts. USC coach Pete Carroll screaming and motioning for Trojans quarterback Matt Liner to clock the ball amid the last second chaos. Liner took the snap and tried to sneak over the pile of humanity, but was stood up short of the goal line. He then turned his back toward the pile and tried to lean in. And that's when the most iconic moment in a rivalry steeped in do-you-remember-when came alive. Here comes Reggie Bush, all six feet, 203 pounds of him. Bush took two steps to the pile, got low, and pushed Leinert the final three feet over the goal line. You know I pushed your ass in, right? Bush yelled into Leinert's ear amid the celebration as national television cameras broadcasted the pandemonium. The Bush Push. Of all the highlights and all the magic created by the most electrifying player in the modern era of college football, the image that stands out is the one where he did what any schmo with a little heft in his shorts could have done. That moment, like so many others in a white-hot three-year career where Bush was the tip of the spear for one of the greatest teams in college football history, are secondary to the dark clouds that, even now, Bush can't escape. He was college football royalty, an unquestioned sports superstar and pop culture hero earning millions for his swanky private university tucked into hardscrabble South Central LA just like a beautiful rose peeking amid tentacles of weeds weeds that if left unchecked always find a way to suffocate everything in their path even the untouchable at the University of Southern California it is here where we introduce Lloyd Lake an ex-con with a plan to get rich and before we take a deep dive into Reggie Bush's all-American tragic hero story before we unfold the greatest career at a university overflowing with unforgettable superstars Lloyd Lake must take center stage when Lake left prison in the early 2000s he found out his good friend Lamar Griffin Reggie Bush's stepfather had a stepson who was quickly becoming the best to ever play in the storied history of USC Lake left prison with the idea of becoming a sports agent and he and his friend Michael Michaels started a fledging sports agency called New Era Sports and they zeroed in on Griffin and Bush to grow the company. He'd give Griffin and Bush more than $300,000 in illegal benefits while Bush played at USC. Providing a home for Griffin in San Diego and a car for Bush among other benefits. And when Bush left for the NFL Bush would return the favor by signing with New Era Sports. Remember, there weren't $5,000 a semester stipends when Bush played. But still millions upon millions made off his name and talent by USC. Getting Bush to say yes to more money than he has ever seen in his life was easier than a USC non-conference game against Idaho. But like most easy money gigs, they're never as simple as they seem. When Bush left USC for the NFL after his junior season in 2005, he signed with a different sports agency. Lake then went public with the illegal quid pro quo, and the NCA jumped on the scent like a pack of wild dogs. What happened over the next five years was an unimaginable melting pot of accusations, lies, half-truths, vendettas, firings, hirings, and an end to one of the greatest dynastic runs in college football history. And more important, the soiling of Reggie Bush's historic career. Pete Carroll, the most successful coach in the game at the time, left town for the NFL before the NCAA sheriff came and cleaned house. USC, which was recruiting and winning on autopilot, was left stammering and spurting for more than a decade, misfiring with two high-profile hiring mistakes after Carroll that further damaged the brand. The failed quid pro quo stained a three-year run by USC that included an Associated Press national title in 2003 A BCS National Championship in 2004 and a last-second loss to Texas in the 2005 BCS National Championship game that prevented the Trojans from winning three straight national championships. It eliminated a 34 game winning streak because 14 of those wins were vacated by eventual NCAA sanctions and it gutted the program for years with crippling scholarship reductions. More than anything It forced USC to disassociate the university from Reggie Bush, eliminating any mention of Bush on the pristine campus. All records had asterisks. Bush's number five jersey that once sat shoulder-to-shoulder in the peristyle end of the Los Angeles Coliseum with the school's other Heisman Trophy winners was eliminated too. No USC player has worn Bush's number five since. And then came the final humiliating blow. Bush gave back the Heisman Trophy he won in the 2005 season, boxing it up and sending it to the Heisman Trust. The 2005 award has been vacated since. Bush's painting no longer adorns the walls of the Sports Museum of America in New York City with all the other Heisman winners. And all mention of the 2005 season has been eliminated from Heisman history. The greatest Trojan of all had been ghosted. But a strange thing happened last season. While college football was living day-to-day dealing with COVID protocols, the road turned ever so slightly for Bush back toward Troy. USC's NCAA-mandated disassociation with Bush ended after 10 long years. The player who finished his career 10th in NCAA history with 6,541 all-purpose yards and 42 touchdowns, who averaged 10.2 yards every time he touched the ball, and a touchdown every 15 touches, who former Washington State coach Bill Domba once said, if he gets the ball with any kind of space you might as well start singing their fight song, was free to come home if USC wanted him. The university started with baby steps. Bush's biography is back on the team's website and when he arrived at the Coliseum last season as part of Fox Sports's game coverage The cheers and chants for Bush from fans began to drown audio from the coverage. Bush's smile, the ear-to-ear explosion that beamed off his face so many times on the sidelines after so many big plays in the early 2000s, was shining far and wide again. The president, as his teammates lovingly called him, was back in the house he helped restore to greatness not so long ago. Just how far the university goes to bring Bush back into the fold remains to be seen. For every breathtaking highlight Bush delivered, for every adrenaline rush each time he touched the ball over three magical seasons, there is still the carnage his poor decisions left behind. USC has never really recovered from the NCAA scandal that cost the program 30 scholarships over three seasons and led to the failed coaching hires of Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian. It never really rebounded from the NCAA infractions committee using a new standard of guilt by proclaiming USC, quote, knew or should have known about Lloyd Lake providing Bush and his family with improper benefits, essentially convicting the program without evidence. Even with a Pac-12 championship in 2017, USC hasn't come close to returning to the top of the college football world, where it was for three years while Bush redefined the role of dynamic offensive weapon. He had 93 plays of 20-plus yards in his USC career, and in 2005, the average length of his 16 touchdowns was 31.9 yards. He produced touchdowns five different ways. Rushing, receiving, passing, and kickoff and punt returns. He averaged 7.4 yards per carry in his career and caught a pass in 27 consecutive games. He was the human video game, and nothing underscored that more than a November game against 16th-ranked Fresno State in Bush's final season at USC. He ran for 294 yards, had 68 yards receiving, and 151 return yards, and his 513 all-purpose yards set a Pac-10 record. More impressive, of all the All-Americans and all the superstar skill players in USC history, the previous best single-game all-purpose yards performance was 368 yards by Trojans legend Anthony Davis a whopping 145 fewer yards than Bush's remarkable performance. After the game, after deflated Fresno State coach Pat Hill had just watched his team score 42 points on the defending national champions in the Coliseum and lose by eight, the man who made the Fresno State program after a successful run as an NFL assistant was asked about Bush. I've never seen anyone like him at any level, Hill said. Every time he touches the ball, you hold your breath. Late last month, and in the weeks since, a growing paradigm shift in college sports has given players rights they couldn't have dreamed of when Bush and the Trojans were rolling. The new name, image, and likeness bylaw that allows players to earn money marketing themselves already has changed the game. The very things Bush did off the field during his playing career are now legal for players in 2021. Bush took to social media on July 1, the day NIL legislation became NCAA law, and said he has reached out to both the NCAA and the Heisman Trust to get his records reinstated and his trophy returned. Neither have called back, and the Heisman Trust publicly stated it would only return Bush's Heisman if the NCAA reinstated his records. It is my strong belief that I won the Heisman Trophy solely due to my hard work, and dedication on the football field, Bush said. And it is also my firm belief that my record should be reinstated. Everyone has moved on from those days Bush can't escape. USC has its best team in years and will begin the 2021 season with hopes of playing in the college football playoff. The NCAA, mere weeks after getting publicly flogged by the United States Supreme Court for the way it treats student-athletes, has moved 180 degrees from where it has been for nearly a century. President Mark Emmert said in mid-July that it's time for the NCAA to de-emphasize a national governing body and that constraints on college athletes, quote, should be the bare minimum. The decision is easy for the NCAA and the Heisman Trust. Are they really going to allow the scheme of an ex-convict trying to make money off a desperate student-athlete dictate their decision to reinstate and recognize Reggie Bush's time at USC? The NCAA has weeded its own garden. It's time to let the beautiful flower return. Okay, speaking of legendary players, let's talk about legendary flavors. So the good folks at Texas Pete sent a box the other day and it was full of legendary flavor, people. I mean, every wing sauce you could imagine, every barbecue sauce you could imagine, salsa. Look, I made some chili the other day and I thought, all right, I'm gonna make this thing unique now. And I threw a little sauteed garlic flavor hot sauce in there and man, oh man, I'm talking phenomenal. So now I'm sitting here, I'm now finding ways to make things on the grill, in the smoker, on the cooktop because I'm trying to find a way to get these Texas Pete sauces in my food. They're so good. I had the Sriracha sauce the other day and I threw it on grits and oh my gosh. I'm talking barbecue sauce on pulled pork on a smoker. I'm talking about barbecue sauce, the Eastern Carolina barbecue sauce on chicken. There's so many different things to use this great sauces. Listen, visit TexasPete.com for recipes, Hot pair like Texas Pete shirts and hats. And here's the key. Take 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order with promo code SaturdayDownSouth at TexasPete.com. Down. Set. Sauce like you mean it. All right. We are pleased to welcome to Saturday Lives Forever former USC running back current college football analyst for Fox Sports, Petros Papadakis. P, welcome to the show. How you doing?
1: Thanks for having me. I'm uh, doing well, happy to be on, and hopefully have a full season where everybody gets to compete. And going forward, having a playoff that involves the whole country so people are a little bit more interested and having a good time. You know how it
0: is. No kidding. No kidding. All right, listen. So we're breaking down Reggie Bush, The deep dive, um, I want to get into the Reggie Bush the player first. We'll get into the other stuff that, you know, is not so nice. We'll get into that a little bit later. But just purely as a player, as a guy on the field, Petros, and you being a former running back, so you know what it takes to, to achieve at that level of college football. But this is a guy I think that may have been the most dynamic player of the last 30, 40, 50 years in college ball. Just every time he touched the ball, you literally held your breath.
1: You know, yeah, and there was a bit of a indictment on some of the defenses being played back then, and a lot of what Norm Chow did with him is sort of the reason defense has changed. And most of the football innovations in major football have come from the West Coast over the last, I don't know, 40 years. You know, there's a reason we call it the West Coast offense.
0: But right, right.
1: What, what Reggie... Reggie was developed by one of my better friends in football, Kennedy Polamalu, Troy's uncle. Before okay. Troy uh, uh, before Troy was a big deal, Kennedy was a great running back coach and at a modern day. He's now with the Minnesota Vikings, who have a good running game everywhere. He's the guy that made Maurice Jones-Drew into a full-service NFL back and okay. saved Fred Taylor's career in Jacksonville. He's a great coach. And obviously with Norm Chow... And then Dale White, and what he represented with that zone running, it really created a, a Bermuda triangle when Reggie came into the game. Because if you left your Sam linebacker in the game and you went to some kind of man defense, which everything becomes man at a certain point, right, if you guard a guy, right. uh, uh-huh. and you put your will backer, or, or God forbid your, your strong side backer, one-on-one with him, you're going to lose. And he's going to score. And that happened, I think, twice against Virginia Tech in a game that USC would have lost on the East Coast if they played one of those kickoff classic type of deals. And I think yeah, that, I was was, that, game.
0: that was... Yeah, was at that uh, That was in the D.C. Stadium. I was at that game. Yeah.
1: yeah. And yeah, that's yeah. just Norm Chow recognizing, hey, look, with this we'll create this one-on-one and they won't guard him. Well, let's say you leave your nickel in. And you have that nickel guy who's got a much better chance of guarding Reggie one-on-one, who is really good at running routes out of the backfield, especially with the hash marks that wide at that level. And Reggie was not perfect, but he was serviceable running that zone that Lindale White was brilliant at. So if you leave your nickel in there, they can hand it to Reggie. And there'll be a hole, and if he sees it, he had a tendency to cut it back way too early and just see that hole in it and that door closes even at the college level very quickly. And he didn't really bust the runs from the backfield that you you would imagine that he did when you go back and kind of look at it, but it happened a lot and it happened enough and he could just get behind the O-line and get six or seven yards or gash you to where you can't leave that guy in. The nickel, so you were screwed. You know, no one really knew what to do (laughs) when he was in the game, uh, because uh, either way, there was a way to really exploit his unbelievable skill. And that brings me to the electricity part of it, Matt. He was electric. I mean, I remember Javid best was a little bit like that. The only other guy that I covered that I could really remember being that fast from the tailback position where the guy could just take it all the way up the hash and kill everybody's angle. And Reggie did that often. And he did that in the punt return game. And I think Mike Garrett said it, who was a really good punt returner in the NFL in college, a Heisman winner in his own right, and the athletic director when Reggie was at USC. Mike Garrett hated Reggie's technique and his approach to returning punts. But his skill was just so overriding. I remember that Fog game that I called up in Corvallis with Barry Tompkins, the, right. the Fog Bowl, I think uh, in 2005, and USC came back. They came back because of one of the most improbable punt returns you'd ever see, where there were three beeves surrounding Reggie, like a crescent moon, and he jumped out of it and then took off down the field. So his electricity, like you said, people are scared to go get a hot dog in the stands, <laughs> was at the same level in college, you know, as Barry Sanders and all those guys. But I think we we often forget of the the, the offense around him, and the mismatches created by a brilliant offensive coordinator for his time, and with the personnel uh, too. Uh, Norm Chow.
0: Yeah, Norm was phenomenal. I mean, I I can still remember that the the 2005 national championship game, and I was talking to a scout after that. And and I was kind of confused. I said, you know, you got that ball. All you need is two yards to get a first down. The game's over, and and you don't have the Vince Young heroics. I said, why didn't they give it to the guy who could get them the yards at that point? And he said, I, I said, why why would you give it to, to Reggie Bush and not the guy that could get the yards? And he said, the guy that could have got the yards from that play was the guy who they gave it to. Linda White was the guy to give it to. He was the guy to give it to. It wasn't Reggie Bush? Which surprised yeah, me a now, little bit. But
1: and um, Lane Kiffin called that play, right? Right. And the, the crazy thing about it is this. Uh, there is a whole theory behind it, and everybody wants to talk. And so they've, they've done documentaries on it, on Texas, USC, a thousand times. And every time, Matt, they interview me, and they never use this because it doesn't fit their narrative. <laughs> but it's right. the truth. Uh, Lane Kiffin, especially at that time in his career, was a beyond arrogant play caller. I mean, beyond arrogant. So right. arrogant that USC never developed one of the easiest things that you can develop in the world in offensive football when you have athletes like USC, which is an isolation play. You know, something that hits quickly into the line of scrimmage right in the A gap. A short yardage play where the right, back right. is not eight yards deep and a fullback who will explode against that, that Mike linebacker when they close the distance to create the yard that you need. And they never bothered developing it. I have no doubt that Lindale or Reggie could have run an ISO play. They're sitting there having played like 13 or 14 games. And I did that Fresno State game where they became within a a, a pubic hair of of losing to to Pat Hill's Fresno State team in the Coliseum. And it started to become kind of glaring there. USC wasn't as physical as they could have been. Their zone was brilliant, and it was crushing like an elephant, but they didn't really have a viable power game because Kiffin didn't think it was important. They had Brandon Hancock, who was a really good catch-and-turn fullback, but not a guy who was going to clear out a hole for you. And if you remember, he dropped the ball that he should have caught and turned, and that would have ended the game on on second down, I think it was, or third down. Right. right. So what, what, did, what did they do? They ran a zone play. Which is a slow developing run play, which was, you know, poison when USC ran it against people with Lindale White, but in a short yardage situation, penetration kills zone, and you bet your sweet ass that when there's one yard on the line for the national championship in one of the greatest college football games of all time, those guys are going to penetrate. You know, on yeah. on yeah. on yeah. fourth and gets, one, right.
0: Right. 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 right? right,
1: and they did, right. and that you know, and the the truth is they just didn't have the play that they needed to run on in their playbook now you could make an argument to say why wasn't reggie in the game out out wide so where you pull out you know somebody you know to keep an eye on him and maybe the box is a little lighter and you get the first down that way i mean that's that's an argument that you could make but it's really just about the play call uh, not really who got the ball, but just, dude, run an iso play. Get into the line of scrimmage. It's a short yardage <laughs> situation. And Kiffin, because he was like a child driving a Ferrari with that beautiful offense that year and the two Heisman winners and all of that, you know, and it reflected in the game. You know, Reggie tried to pitch it to a walk-on guy from the five. That You know, that would have ended the game if he didn't do that. I mean, it's, it's revisionist history, but we're used to that now with Reggie, right? I mean.
0: Right, he, right.
1: You know, hold on to that ball. You know, well, I'm just trying to make a play, it's like, well, that's not an acceptable answer. They all – but that's a reflection of the way Kiffin ran the offense, and ultimately it cost him college football history three straight.
0: So I, I the, the the running back position at SC, it's legendary. It, you know, it's OJ, it's Mike Garrett. It's Marcus Allen. It's Anthony Davis. It's Petros Papadakis. I'm throwing Oh, you. come on. Charles oh. White, Jim Charles, Ricky Bell. <laughs> Charles don't White. mention me. Uh, uh, uh. All right. <laughs> so, but but when Reggie came and Reggie started playing, I mean, w- what were the old school guys like watching him? Play? Were they just completely taken aback by this kid who literally could looked like he could do anything on the field?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think uh, it was a couple different ways. I mean, I told you Mike Garrett about the punt returning thing. I mean, when you start talking about the Charles Whites and Marcus Allens of the world, I mean, right. you talk to Marcus Allen, Marcus Allen will be talking to you for you know on your podcast for three hours about Marcus Allen.
0: About Marcus and, Allen.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, so that's, uh, <laughs> you know, those guys had a tendency to compare him against themselves. And to be right, fair, right. he was not the back that those guys were. I mean, those guys, Lyndale White created a lot of of the lore that Reggie enjoyed because of what he was able to do just running that zone when USC needed to possess the football and win game after game after game. That's how you create win streaks, not by having a big play. You know, Barry Sanders is the greatest running back of all time. You know, a lot of the time he'd have an 80-yard run when they were down 20. (laughs) You know, right? so... uh, You know, Reggie was part of a great offensive machine, and it created these legendary electric moments. And I think that's why you see this whole movement of young players, who many of which were much more complete backs than Reggie was in their own right, guys that played in the NFL. And you you can't tell them that Reggie Bush isn't the greatest football player they've ever seen because they watched him when they were young, and he was like Superman. I felt that way about Curtis Conway. Because I watched him play in high school. right? And he he could cut on a dime. And he was one of the fastest guys in the state. And that's who Reggie was at Helix High. And he took that into the next level. And the whole country saw it. And there was the Hollywood kind of element of it. And it got to be very popular. There was a time in this town that Matt Leonard and Reggie Bush were bigger than Kobe Bryant. And it's hard to fathom. But it is absolutely true. There was this really hot iron moment that Pete Carroll struck with those guys. But at the same time, it's hard to handle that kind of success. And there was the downfall too.
0: Right. And that leads exactly into my next question. They were so big Pete, and they were, it, it, it transcended football. It it had become, you know, they were these guys that socially were such a big deal. Um, And then the problems with Lloyd Lake, and then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, Pete's getting out of town before the NCAA Sheriff comes in. And then it all starts to fall apart. Then you get the you know, the, the, the NCAA, which basically tells you know, McNair, the uh, running back's coach, that he, he knew or should have known about what was going on with Reggie, which, which was complete crap. Um, you know, and it all starts to fall apart. And, and you now, as an alum, as a guy who bleeds Cardinal in gold, how hard was that to watch that thing fall apart slowly but surely and then eventually just crush you guys?
1: You know, I was there a lot of the I was on that plane until O four, which was my first year doing national games for Fox, which was the Pac ten right. game of the week at that point. So I never worked for USC again on their plane till after O four. But I certainly called a lot of their games just on Fox. That was before ESPN really started investing. Or in West Coast football, and and, and and frankly, there weren't every game wasn't always on for everybody in the Pac-10, right. which seems like a crazy thing uh, in today's day and age. So for me, I was not surprised when it all ended up coming down, because it, I started to be turned off by the handling of the stardom of Reggie and Leinart in 2005, and I'm positive that I wasn't alone. I mean, they would run those guys on and off the field like JFK just, you know, with somebody took a shot at the president and there would be like five <laughs> pop Warner kids standing there and they jog them, you know, into the locker room. But Pete wanted to create this, this almost. Kind of surrealistic music video environment of what USC football was. And he was successful in doing so. There's no doubt about it, but. Right. And the rules have changed and all these different things. And there's going to be a lot of revisionist history. USC is going to try to capitalize on the name, image, and likeness thing and say, well, Reggie Bush went through this so you could have this, and really none of that is true. <laughs> that's not, that's <laughs> not the way it played out. That's not what happened, and that's not why it happened. I think if you had to ask me why Reggie is continuing to kind of play the victim and it's, it's become quite lucrative for him, I'm sure, at this point, to tell his story the way he's telling his story – And I think that that is great for him to do, but at the same time pretty insulting to a generation of USC football. But I don't think Reggie – I think Reggie is really mad because he saw a lot of people take a lot of things and a lot of people break a lot of rules, and he feels singled out. And from that perspective, if I had to guess, I would say, yeah, I would be pretty pissed off
0: too. Yeah, that's but fair. It, I mean, that's that's fair, man. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I, that that's. But at the same time, uh, it's not so much what anybody took, because let's not be naive about college football at the highest level. It's how the aftermath was handled. The environment created by Pete Carroll to, quote-unquote, compete against the NCAA as opposed to just take your one year off and bowl game and just wear it as opposed to, fighting this governing body, which we all know is a messed-up governing body, but it's still the governing body. And they could right. never really get Reggie to come to the table. He was never really deposed, and if he was, he never said anything. They only made it more tedious, which is why the investigation took four years, and which is why USC got – I mean, that would never happen again. Again, the NCAA lost all its teeth. They're too afraid to lose the power conference's to their own thing, like they lost the college football playoff. But right. I, I really, I really think it would have been different. I promise, it would have been different had had Pete Carroll handled the aftermath of the Reggie Bush controversy differently, and gotten Reggie to be a little bit more contrite in just right. how he handled himself in the aftermath. Because that's what really killed USC. Not that Reggie's parents had a house, or that he had really cool rims. Or that they all were on trips, you know, every single week, in lavish hotels and stuff for the games, stuff that everybody was kind of. It wasn't so much that what people were taking; it was how they were taking it and how outward it was. And yeah, and that's the thing. I think, I think being there, I just expected it to end up biting them in the ass because I'd never seen anything like it before.
0: It's, or since that, that's that's my biggest problem with this. He he still to this day is not contrite about it. And really, there's two things with this. P, and we'll kind of finish up on this. There's two things. Number one, yes, you got 300000 plus in, in benefits, illegal benefits, Reggie. You did. There's no other way around it. And number two, and I think this is more important than anything, he gave the trophy back. He didn't have to. He could have just kept it. So yeah, he's the one he who could, gave uh, the trophy back.
1: Well, that's a whole separate thing. Like, you know, the Heisman, as you – I don't even have – I must have called – I mean, who knows how many hundreds of college football games I've called over the years in all the major conferences except the SEC, and I don't have a Heisman vote. So, I mean, the Heisman, I mean, it's its own little thing, and they have a snooty way of handling things, and they've kind of batted it back to the NCAA, and I'm sure he'll get his Heisman back if that's what he wants, and I know it really bothers him what I've from what I've heard, and fine, I, I, I get it, but look, if you were talking to Eric Dickerson about what he did in college, he'd laugh and it would be a funny conversation. And, yeah, there's a whole group of SMU football people that got screwed in the aftermath, but he was a young kid and I don't know what you'd expect from somebody like that. But, you know, he doesn't have a chip on his shoulder about it because he's an NFL Hall of Famer and he ran for 2,000 yards in the NFL, you know. And right. I think you know. I think if Reggie's uh, NFL career had gone a little bit differently, I think uh, the way he would handle this stuff in college and who he purports himself to be uh, because of it or through it, uh, I think would be a great deal different, if that's fair to say.
0: It's absolutely fair, Petros. This has been a blast, man. I really appreciate you coming on. And, and oh, you're the best, you, man. You kind I'm of always a, happy to you, talk. Love talking college ball. Hey. You delved into to an area of Reggie that I, I don't think a lot of people know. It's going to be very interesting to let people hear uh, a different side of Reggie Bush because Reggie kind of puts a side out there that it's it's all one-sided.
1: Well, it's about Reggie, right?
0: It and is. if everybody was chanting my
1: name, Reggie, Reggie, every year I went,
0: I might feel that way too. <laughs> all right, brother, I really appreciate it. Thanks so
1: much. All right. Thank you, Matt. Have a great season.
0: That was Season 1, Episode 2 of Saturday Lives Forever. Brought to you by our good friends at Texas Pete Hot Sauce. Check back for future episodes of season one.